This is Small Business as Usual, a program about the art of operating small enterprises and the issues faced by the owners. It's a presentation of the Community Economic Development Fund in Meriden, Connecticut. I'm Frederick Welk, a business advisor for CEDF clients. The Community Economic Development Fund is a nonprofit lender providing financing to qualified small businesses in Connecticut that can't obtain traditional bank financing. More about CEDF at the end of the program. This episode is about figuring out what your customers want. Imagine racking up a gigantic debt and betting all of your efforts and savings on opening a small store, only to find that the next day one of those big box competitors had come to town. So against all odds, you struggle for a decade and a half, figuring out how to survive and outsmart the competition by adjusting strategy, capturing advantages they didn't have, and in the end, changing the merchandise category. Twice. The lessons learned are valuable for any small business that needs to figure out what they want to be. It's an unlikely story, but it happened to one of my clients. I'll let him tell you all about it. My name is Nick Tarzia. I am the owner of Awesome Toys and Gifts. We have two locations located in both Stanford and Westport, and we are in the business of selling toys. We're retail and online Our target customer is our communities and the neighborhoods that we reside in. Been in business now for about 15 years. I opened in 1988 with the objective to be a somewhat of a mailbox, etc. type store. In that process, I ended up selling office supplies and did not get the postal contract for the North Stanford Post Office, which somewhat unique situation where the North uh, northern part of Stanford doesn't have a U.S. post office in it. So what they've traditionally done is locate one in a retail operation and have the retail operation run it for them. I tried to get the contract, which was available at that time, and I did not succeed, but I did succeed at getting a bunch of office supplies delivered to my store. So I found myself in the office supply business. The first year took off, I mean, better than I could have ever expected. So I was in a thousand square feet and realized that I'm going to need more square footage for this and I'm going to need some type of warehousing. So I moved across the street in my first year, borrowed a bunch of money, made a beautiful store, had a warehouse, everything was set up to do business. And then the next day Staples opened. Well, that kind of kicked my legs out from underneath me and for the next 15 years I received a college education in how to sell against a deep discounter and survive with very slim margins and no marketing budget to speak of. In that process, I learned quite a bit about customer service, knowing what my value was, my value proposition, my competitive advantage, how to get that message across to my customer base how to also listen to what it is they needed me for as opposed to staples. What the value that they perceived in my business was and how to cater to that, that need. I eventually sold off the off-supply business and was had transitioned into stationary and then into toys. In the midst of all that, I had gotten the postal contract and it brought in a lot of business, but I still couldn't keep the U.S. Post Office head above water 
and they unfortunately were losing a half a billion dollars a year in spite of my efforts. So they decided to cut back and pull out of my store after 14 years. In that 14 years, um, we were a success story. We were the second busiest post office in the city of Stanford, but still not enough for their, their business plan didn't work. I mean, they needed to cut back and they were cutting back everywhere. I found myself solely in the toy business. Through the process, I learned how to listen to my customer, to be what my customer wanted me to be. Now, that is not to say that I could be everything to everyone, but in the office supply industry, I realized if you were to get a percentage of the purchases from a percentage of the customers, a percentage of the time, and you were able to be profitable, then you were successful. You didn't need 100% of the purchases from 100% of the customers, 100% of the time, because that's virtually impossible. You need to learn how to be what the customer wants you to be, or the majority of the customers want you to be, so that you can be successful. When I was much younger and growing up, I worked for my family in a pizza restaurant, and my uncle, one of the little nuggets of knowledge was it didn't matter how good or how bad your pizza was as long as you made it the exact same way every single time you will find enough customers who will like your pizza but the worst thing you could ever do is be inconsistent so i bring that up because you have to first know who you are know what it is that you believe in and you will either succeed or fail, but it will be on your terms. Customers are pretty smart and pretty savvy. They know what they want. And if the majority of the people walking through your door want a certain thing, you cannot be tone deaf to them and just ignore what they are trying to tell you. It's not always that obvious. There's a tightrope that you walked. I am a firm believer in talking to my customers and finding out what it is that they want out of my toy store. But there are some people who refuse to buy toys that are plastic. They only want wooden toys. They want all natural. They want me to be a purist in the specialty sense. Now, when I look at my P&L, I realize I can't afford to be in business like that. So I have to make a hard decision. Am I going to sell strictly wooden toys and make this certain market segment very happy? Or am I going to be a profitable business and sell to the masses and say, I am a full-fledged toy store? So I believe that, yes, you have to listen to your customers, but you also have to do what's right for your business. You can't be everything to everyone, and you have to choose what you are going to be. You definitely have to be open to ideas and suggestions. I never discourage my customers or my employees from giving me ideas because once in a while, something sparks an idea or a concept or a thought that turns into a profitable venture. It's not that I pick and choose who I'm going to allow speak to me, but I take all that information and then think about what's best for myself, my business, which in turn is best for the customer, because if I survive, I can be here tomorrow to serve them. Look at Steve Jobs. He was very successful until his board threw him out. And then he came out with a computer. Really, there wasn't a customer base for it. And he believed that it was what people wanted. 
But out of that, he built a foundation for the Mac. I am not bullheaded enough to think that I have all the answers. I make my best calculated decision, and then if I find out I'm wrong, I adjust. You know the term expert buyer? If you could introduce me to them, I'd love to hire them because I don't know anyone who's an expert when it comes to people's fads and choices and wants. We're all using our best instincts to deduct what would be best and what we think the customer wants. An expert is one who's open and listening and talking to customers and is not afraid to make mistakes. A gentleman once told me if I didn't have products that were stuck on the shelf and never sold, that meant I didn't take enough chances. You have to take chances. Albeit they have to be well thought out and calculated chances that you can afford to take so you don't go all in on things. Our rule of thumb is if a customer comes in and says, do you have this? And we don't, we write a note. Another customer comes in and asks for that same product a week later. Now it starts to become on our radar. Do a little research. Then you get a third person asking for that same product. You're like, all right, this is more than a coincidence. There must be something going on in the industry. And with the advent of the internet, you can research trends a million different places. And if you combine that with your customer base's requests, there's a pretty good shot that if you attempt to bring in a sampling to see how it goes, you're going to be successful. Instinct is an accumulation of knowledge and a following of one's deductions based upon your experiences. Instinct isn't just saying, God, I, f I have a feeling this is going to work. If that instinct is also reinforced by customers talking to you and telling you that, or your employees telling you that, you as a business owner and a business leader, you act on that instinct. Small businesses don't have to be first to market. Wait to see how the results come in and then get on the coattails because what they would consider riding their coattails, we consider a success in our business because who cares who came out with it first? As long as we end up making money off of it, let them spend all the money on the research. If they're doing all that research, keep an eye on it. Let them drive the market. Let's say they decide that yo-yo is going to be the hot toy this fall and it's going to be the hit of the season and they're putting millions of dollars behind it. I'm okay with that because I'll just bring in more yo-yos and, and ride off of their coattails. So much of what big business does it seems is not so much research but they create the buzz around a toy and market that toy and make that toy the hot toy make that trend happen spinners had been out on the market for years nobody even noticed it all of a sudden the right person bought the toy everybody started asking for it it became a huge sensation so, did any consumer think, oh, that's going to be hot? No, we didn't know. But we saw that all of a sudden it was selling out on the field and everybody was asking for it. So, we ordered it. We all had a hit on our hands. We weren't able to foresee that. Even the big guys, it, uh, Walmart, Toys R Us, Target, they didn't even have the spinner because they didn't know it was going to be a hit. Nobody knew. But... Where did you find it? First to market? Small toy stores. Because we heard it was hot, we brought it in, and they couldn't bring it into their stores fast enough, what we were able to. So to try to predict, as you say with New Coke, you could put all that money behind it. It's best to sit back and wait or take a measured 
chance because you could always bring that Coke home and drink it for the next couple of months if you had to (laughs) or give it away as a promotion. It's not about taking chances. It's about the size of the investment that you make in these chances. You have to be able to say, can I survive a flop, this flop? What can I afford to take a chance on? But once again, I can't stress enough that you have to take chances, but they have to be measured. But if it does work out, make sure that supply chain's in place if you're going to need it. Understanding who your customer is and what they expect from you is your recipe for success. For instance, I understand that my customer base is cash rich and time poor. There's not enough time to do anything. They are too busy either working, running a household, taking care of kids. Time is their most valuable commodity. If I can save a customer time and do the things that save them multiple trips to different stores for different reasons. They don't have time to go looking through the 7,000 toys that I have on my shelves. But if I can narrow it down quickly for them, show them with confidence something that I know will be a success and they can feel good giving to a child, which is what they want, what I've learned that my customer wants and do it in a way that they're in and out of here in 10 minutes And when they leave my store, it's wrapped, it has batteries, it has the birthday card. They literally can stop in my store on the way to the birthday party and be completely prepared successfully at that birthday party at a price that they can afford where they found that what they paid, the value matched the price. That is what my customer wants. And I know that. My customers are value-driven customers, and they find value in saving time, one-stop shopping, educated staff. Now, not every customer is like that, but I know what my customer is. There are the customer who wants to go to Walmart, which I'm totally fine with. There is the customer that wants to go to Target. I'm totally fine with that. I don't need everyone's business, but I need to take care of the customers that want to come to me and find value in what I do. So knowing what the customer wants is your recipe for success. Many thanks to Dick Tarzia for explaining how he figured out what his customers want at Stanford Toys, now rebranded as Awesome Toys and Gifts. You can find out more about Nick's selections at awesometoys.com. But go to the store in Stanford or Westport if you can and see why the kids say it's the best toy store ever. Thanks to Kevin McLeod for music. Our theme is by Orchestral Movement of 1932. Small Business as Usual is presented by the Community Economic Development Fund, a nonprofit organization which provides enterprises in Connecticut with term loans, lines of credit, and commercial mortgages when they can't get traditional bank financing. For the sixth year in a row, we're Connecticut's top SBA microlender. We make business term loans at very nominal interest rates as small as a few thousand dollars and larger business loans too from a pool of loan capital provided by many of the state's leading banks. There are geographic and or income qualification requirements for the borrowers. You can find out more about all of this at CEDF.com. And this episode of Small Business as Usual is available there. It's number 19-5. So, Nick, 
Is it true on the morning you opened Westport you didn't even have a front door? You have to take chances, but they have to be measured.